Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This is Pastor Gina, and today we are going to be looking at Exodus 19 and a sermon called Out of Slavery to Worship. And so just as a quick review, last week Pastor Elaine preached about the call of Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Abraham was blessed and he was to be a blessing And that was God's strategy for mission for his people, to bless the world in God's name. And then we fast forward about 300 years, and we find the story of Joseph and how his family came down to Egypt in a drought, and that um, through just a series of plot twists, that um, Joseph was second in command in Egypt in a nation where he had been brought and trafficked as a slave as a young boy. And then um, another 350 years, if we fast forward, Joseph's family, the descendants of Joseph, the Israelites, had gone from honored guests in Egypt to being battered slaves under the rule of Pharaoh. And so Exodus is the story of God's miraculous deliverance from slavery. And um, we're going to be looking at Gospel Tool Unit 12 that says this, God begins to restore role. God pledges himself to this people with loving faithfulness as he delivers them from the cruelty of bondage to slavery in Egypt in a way that foreshadows human deliverance from their slavery to sin. God calls these people to be a kingdom of priests, a holy people, and teaches them to worship and live as people who once again reflect his glory and goodness To the world. And so would you pray with me please? Dear Lord, we pray that as we meet together around your word today, that you would teach us to worship and teach us to live live our lives to reflect your goodness and to be a blessing to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'm going to ask you, if you haven't already, to turn in your Bibles to um, Exodus 19 and 20. We're going to look at two chapters this morning. And um, as you're opening your word, some have said that this passage of Scripture is um, similar to a stammering account of how a grandparent would try to describe excitedly the message of their grandchild's safe arrival into the world. So it would be things um, that come out, like all kinds of exciting details that aren't in a logical sequence, like, she's here, it was a long labor, she's adorable, yeah, and the midwife was great, and oh man, everything went crazy there at the end, and they named her Emma, oh, they're going to be going home in a day or two, oh, she's got a little bit of brown hair, and you should have seen her dad's face when they said it was a girl. So just this excitement and lots of details, but not necessarily in a sequence that you would um, logically put it. Well, that amazement and excitement um, we can listen to and imagine as we hear the arrival of God. And so I'm going to ask you to pay attention to the words and the sounds and the movements that you hear in this passage of Scripture. Exodus 19. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai, and they set out from Rephaim and entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. 
Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain, and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, and I'm going to summarize these commands. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do not have other gods before me. 
Do not make or worship any idols. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving to you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Don't crave or envy what other people have. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you, will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the conclusion of the reading of God's word. So what is this story about? Some of you might say, well, it's about Mount Sinai or it's about Moses, or it's about the Ten Commandments. And yes, those are parts of the story. But that's somewhat like asking about a, a baseball park, and um, what is it that is in, what's the main thing about going to a baseball park, and you answering, oh, it's about the hot dogs and the popcorn and the beverages. Yes, that's part of it, but that's not the main thing. It's not the ball game. So what is the main thing? going on in the story? Or maybe the better question is, who is the main character? And it's God. And from God's perspective, his chosen and beloved people. This story is about God, who's worthy of being worshipped. He's just rescued them. And a group of people who didn't understand God's plan and vision for their time together out on the mountain. This journey has been about worship since the very beginning of Exodus. And we see in Exodus 3, 11, and 12, um, back early in the story of Exodus, where um, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. And so Moses' call starts on the mountain, and God says, you're going to go, and you're going to bring the people out, and they're going to come to this mountain, and they're going to worship me, and this is going to be the sign. And so it's always been about coming out to worship the Lord. They were called out to worship, and we see that same call, that same phrase, repeated in Exodus 4, 22 and 23. In Exodus 8, 1, in 9, 1, in 9, 13, in 10, 3, and also in 10, verses 25 to 26. So it's repeated multiple times. Moses calls Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, to let all of God's people go and all the flocks go into the wilderness for three days journey to worship. Let my people go so that they can worship me. The Pharaoh doesn't want to let him go, and he offers throughout the story, if you're familiar with it, other not, otherwise just go back and read the book of Exodus. It's a beautiful story. But um, Pharaoh offers some partial options. 
He says, um, well, the men only can go. But then he recants. But that wasn't sufficient anyway. And then he says, well, you can take the men and the women, but leave the herds. And finally, after the plague on the firstborn, they were allowed to leave to go and worship on the mountain. And so they get there and they enter the first CRC church at Mount Sinai and the ushers seat them and the praise team starts up and all goes according to script. Three songs, a congregational prayer, the offertory, the song of preparation, the sermon, the song of response, the blessing, a closing song, and then cookies and coffee. We see just what we're used to on Mount Sinai, right? Hmm. Sometimes we have the idea of what worship is, or what it means to worship, or where is the appropriate place to worship, or what even is worship, and maybe we too need to be taught or reminded about what God's vision is for worship. Just like the song that we sang earlier, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about God. A God who says, let my people go so they can worship me. And so what is God's vision for worship? This isn't an exhaustive list or a full teaching on the topic of worship, but we can find some really important components of worship here in these couple of chapters. And first of all, when they get out there, remember on the third month, they get out there at the base of the mountain, and the first thing that God does is he speaks promises to them. It's called a covenant renewal, and there's actually many components of the wedding format from that culture's time that's in the context of this. So there's a preparation time, like if you were getting married, you get prepared, you, you get ready. Well, they prepared themselves through that time of consecration. And then there's these vows, and this is what's unique about God as compared to all other religions is that he is a God who makes promises and binds himself to people. And God speaks their identity and promises to them in verses 5 and 6 when he says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. God says to them, he looks, and I mean, just picture this. They have been in bondage and slavery and working their fingers to the bone. And he looks at them and he says, you are my treasured possession. A valuable gem that's carefully watched over and guarded. What would that mean? How would that feel? To suddenly be taken from slavery to be told, you are like a, the most beautiful gem to me. And he says to them, you're going to be a kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood. And so this idea that you're moving from slavery to royalty and you're going to be given a role where you're going to have complete access to me. You're going to speak on my behalf. You're going to serve me. And you're going to serve people and you're going to pray and you're going to enjoy all the access to to every kingdom um, resource as you mediate between me 
and the world. That's what God, the vision that he has and the role that he has to entrust to them. And he says they're going to be a holy nation. And the people respond in unity and they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. This is such a beautiful picture of committed, promised relationship to one another. And so God said, they're going to come out to worship me. And so what does worship really mean? As we look at this, there's no building that they came out to. There was no scripted um, order of worship from the human standpoint. But God had a plan. And I want to say, first of all, it says they will worship me on this mountain. There's always an object of worship, and it's to be God. We're coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Lord. There's also two Hebrew words for worship, and the first one means having a deep reverence. It's a heart, it's a soul, it's a mind posture. Respecting and honoring God, the one who brought them out with a mighty deliverance, took them through the sea, saved them. And he does this with horns, This the horns that were blaring that day. It's used for, um, in that time, the shofar blowing was for a very, very important, significant announcement. And there's all kinds of manifestations of God's power. There's lightning. The people are trembling. The mountain is trembling in the presence of the almighty, all-powerful God. And so having this deep reverence and respect for who he is. And then the other, the other word for worship is laboring to serve. And this I want to say is more of a heart posture and a body posture. It's offering every bit of strength that you have to serve the one out of gratitude for what he's done for you. You'll notice that every family member and all of their possessions were be to be brought out to Mount Sinai because everything and everybody is ready to be surrendered and available to worship the king. They'd respond to this amazing God by serving God and so following the Ten tips to be a better lover that we see in the Ten Commandments. Ten directives. They're not really tips. They're commands. They're directives. And they're summed up in the New Testament. All these ten tips or ten commands, ten words, they're all about love. It's about loving God and about loving our neighbors. And so they would learn to labor and they'd be eager to labor to serve because they're laboring to love. And they begin to reflect the image of God who is love, and they're a blessing to the world. And that was the covenant that God had made with Abraham long ago, that his descendants would be a blessing to the world. We also notice that as they're there for worship at Mount Sinai, that God had appointed leaders. And so Moses was following God's orders. When God says, come up the mountain, go up. When he says, go down, go down. When he says, say this, he says that. And I just want to say from being somebody that went up and down that mountain, um, that is no easy chore. And Moses quickly and promptly, even though he did say, I don't think I need to go back down, 
But God was going to be telling Moses what to do, and he was the appointed leader. And he's going to be giving messages through Moses. And some were going to be taking a while to come. And so um, God knew that Moses was going to be held up on that mountain receiving this message for 40 days. Moses didn't know that. He said, well, I've told the people once they won't come. But God knew the timing. And he said, go back down and tell them not to come up this mountain. And so Moses followed God's guidance. And that's what needs to happen with every God-appointed leader is there needs to be a surrenderedness to let God be in charge. God's timing and God's order. God knew this was going to be longer, and he sent Moses down to tell the people not to approach. He set boundaries. It wasn't a free-for-all. There was order in worship. There were encounters with the living God. They all knew they were in the presence of Almighty God. He had the power of life and death. He had just saved them and spared them when they had put blood over their doorpost and the plague came through. God spared them. And God has also just destroyed their enemy in the sea when the enemy was chasing after them. God parted the sea and they went through and were given life. And the enemy was given death. And so they were encountering the living God and they all knew they were in his presence. And true worship involves fear of the Lord, as we see in verse 20. And Moses tells them, don't be afraid, but have a proper respect for the holy God. The fear of the Lord is the reverential trust in God that includes a commitment to God's revealed will. And so it's a reverential trust. And they could trust God because he had been a loving God to them. But it also includes a commitment to do God's will. And God had told them to stay put. And um, the and we see these ten commandments in the very beginning is don't have any idols. And unfortunately they started in the fear of the Lord. And then if we would read 10 or 12 chapters more and get over to chapter 32, well, worship also involves singing and dancing. But unfortunately, the object of their worship had shifted off of God himself and onto the golden calf. And so they would have to learn and become true worshipers as they transitioned out of this slavery mentality. You see, they thought, huh, we're orphans again. Moses is staying up that mountain so long. They needed to deeply grasp that God would be God, that he would um, tell them what was the right thing to do. Do you realize that he was giving them 40 days to rest and refresh and just to reflect on his goodness and reflect on his rescue so that they'd be ready for the next leg of the journey? But they got restless and they got impatient and they got scared and they were afraid that they were forgotten. But God looked at them as treasure possession and they needed to learn to trust God and trust his timing. God's people had a lot of room to grow in understanding of worship. And we too have room to grow in understanding more fully God's vision for worship. What can we, church, hope for and expect as we continue to worship at home? And what can we 
look forward to as we think about regathering for worship. And this is a very specific word for our context at this time where we've been worshiping from home and in discipleship groups for the last year. And I want to ask us, are we setting our focus on the main thing, or is it like the baseball game where we're focused on the popcorn or some of the minor things instead of what is really important? I want to say that as we think about worship, whether it's at home, in our discipleship groups, or as we would regather, that every time we worship, we engage in covenant renewal. We remember that God said he would be our God and that we are his people. And so every time we gather, it's really, it's like a a marriage vow renewal. It's a renewing of our commitment to one another. As we're being discipled in the gospel and as as we study our discipleship lessons, we're growing to trust God's love and protection over us as treasured possessions. We hear regularly and we're reminded of the work of Jesus on the cross to save us from sin and death, just like God delivered the Israelites through the sea and from slavery. And so again and again and again, we hear the good news of the gospel and we're coming to more fully trust God's love and his protection over us as treasured possessions. We're also growing as a royal priesthood of learning to minister to God through all kinds of acts of love and um, obedience and songs of adoration. We're growing as a people of faith, knowing that we have full access to God and that as we pray that we can seek God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What a privilege and what an expectation that we have. We also have a response to make. And just like at Sinai, God said, I will do this, but you need to be obedient. And each one of us, he looks at and asks the question, will you obey? I'm willing to make you a treasured possession and a royal priesthood. Will we respond? We'll, we'll do everything you say. Are we surrendered and all out for the king? Worship resumed at the mountain, but worship isn't contained to the mountain. It's not contained to a particular place. And if we would have read further in Exodus 20, verse 24 says, Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. And so whether we're meeting in homes or whether we're meeting outside or if we're meeting in the church building, God promises that wherever He causes his name to be honored that he'll come there and he'll bless us. And so we can expect that as we worship that he comes and meets with us and blesses us. How can we prepare ourselves for worship? Just like the people in Exodus consecrated themselves and prepared themselves. How can we prepare ourselves? And I want to suggest a few ways. We can expect and pray for encounters with the living God, that he'll move in powerful ways to rescue and restore us when we meet in our D groups and when we regather. 
I heard recently a story from the IF gathering, um, an international conference, about the underground churches in Iran and how the people have been praying and calling out for God to show up and meet them, and God is encountering them in powerful ways. People are being healed. There's major miraculous conversions of Muslims, and the churches are growing by wildfire. It's just amazing what's happening, the testimony coming out of Iran. And I wonder, are we praying and are we expecting encounters of God? We've had powerful encounters of God, church. Think about our worship services over the last seven, eight, ten years, how the Lord has just continually moved more and more in power within our services with healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, words of knowledge with conversions right in the middle of our service one Sunday, conversion and accepting Christ with prophetic words, and we are praying for more. We can also pray for our group facilitators and our preachers for powerful gospel messages from God. Pray for teachers and preachers who, like Moses, can be trusted because God has spoken to them. Pray. Pray and prepare yourselves. I want to say something really practical. Be on time and be ready. Come eager and prepared, not hung over and ready for a nap. And I clearly recall one Sunday morning where somebody near the front was sleeping through the service and I clapped my hands and said, wake up, right in the middle of my sermon. Maybe you remember that as well. Well, friends, it is time for the church to remain alert and wake up. And we can prepare our hearts by consecrating ourselves, confessing our sins, turning away from sin, and coming to church expectant and ready and eager to meet with God. And sometimes people ask me, why is it that when we go to a conference or um, when we go to a training, that um, it just seems like there's a difference in what God does in that um, time together? And I think it's about the amount of eagerness and earnestness that people come in. They're prepared. They're eager. And I want to ask us this. When I come to Sunday worship, is it on my to-do list to just, this is part of my routine and my ritual? Or are we coming, preparing our hearts days in advance, eager to meet with the living God? What's our preparation? We can pray for reverence and a restored fear of the Lord for ourselves and all who are present because God's word says that that will keep us from sinning. And so again, what is the fear of the Lord? It's this deep reverential awe and respect for him. And I recently heard a Christian missionary describing his personal devotion and how that he just prayed the Lord's Prayer over and over. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Oh, Father, you are so holy, holy, holy. You are so good. You are so loving. And as I listen to him talk and describe his prayers, I recognize the fear of the Lord was in this man. And I thought, Lord, make us all just caught up in your glory, in your goodness. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. When we have this reverence 
it's going to keep us. Nothing is going to, nothing is going to be able to tempt us when we recognize the goodness of what we have in our God. Our eyes won't turn away. Pray for God's timing and pray for God's ways. Pray for our elders and pray for the regathering team as, as they seek to hear and follow God's ways and his timing. Moses was to go up the mountain. Moses was to go down the mountain. There were 40 days. You would think people just were brought out of slavery. And, you know, you would think, oh, they need to hear a message every Sunday. They need to hear a message every day or whatever you would think they would need. But God knew what they needed. They needed to rest and trust him and his timing. Well, we need to Rest and trust and be expectant that when God's messages come and when he says regather, we'll regather. But there need to be leaders that are listening and being attentive to what God's saying. And so please pray for our elders, pray for the regathering team, and pray that we will truly be those that worship God, that we'll have a deep reverence, that we'll have a deep, deep, um, just obsession with Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, and that we will just keep our eyes on him, and we'll be in reverence of him, and that we will come to worship all out, everything the Israelites brought, everything that they had, all their time, their treasures, their possessions, their herds, their flocks, their family. Pray that we will be a people that will come all out, and bring everything that we have at disposal for the Lord, saying, how can I worship you today? How can I obey you today? God is our rescuer, and true worship comes out of deep, deep gratitude, making God the center of our very lives, the focus of our hearts and minds. And when we live as worshipers, church, we're going to be the most loving, joyful people and a source of gospel hope to our neighbors and the world. Lord, we're yours. Gold Avenue Church is yours. We hear you calling us to come and worship you. And so, Lord, today we say we surrender to you. It's all about you. Be the center of our lives and our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.